This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Nonprofits do so much good work transforming shared ideas into action. But when it comes to the crossover between technology and nonprofits, a lot of organizations can get lost. I started laughing as I was saying that. Imagine how much good they could do if more tech professionals were involved in nonprofit organizations. What if they could attract top talent? Well, this week's guest is working to solve that problem. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Today's guest is Mary Zhu, the co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit organization Develop for Good. Mary's parents grew up in a rural part of China and immigrated to the U.S. right before Mary was born. They couldn't afford much, and so Mary's mother, father, grandfather, and her older brother all lived in a one-bedroom apartment. They couldn't have survived without the help of nonprofits, and that's what sparked Mary's love for giving back and ultimately led to the life she lives now working in the midst of nonprofits. While at Stanford, Mary noticed how competitive students were about getting internships. A lot of students were gaining experience in finance, technology, and business through a for-profit mindset. Going out to big tech companies like Google, Facebook, Dropbox, all of those big guys, without really giving any thought to the possibility of bringing their talents to the world of social impact. And Mary wanted to change that. And so personally, instead of glamorizing a high-paying mainstream career like many of her peers, she slowly aimed her career towards public service. And then in the midst of the global pandemic, Mary used her experience in public service to create Develop for Good, a program that pairs students' experience in technology with nonprofits. Develop for Good has succeeded in curating over 770 unique, highly technical volunteers and designers from schools like Stanford, Harvard, MIT, and Duke, pairing them with more than 80 nonprofits of all sizes. And ultimately, this has saved those nonprofits approximately $2 million and counting. And then they've also already accumulated more than 56,000 volunteer hours, and their numbers just continue to grow, allowing students to chase their dreams in technology while also working for social good. In today's episode, Mary and I got to talk about the lessons she's learned as the daughter of two Chinese immigrants. We talked about her undergraduate degrees at Stanford, which I find just so fascinating. And we talked about the advice that she would give to someone interested in starting their own nonprofit. I love this conversation. And so without any further ado, let's jump straight into it. Mary, you're the co-founder and executive director of Develop for Good. And on the organization's website, your bio describes how you founded your first nonprofit when you were in high school and you sold cakes to sponsor children living in underserved communities. And when 
I meet people who are doing good, especially people who are doing good in unique and creative ways like you are. I'm always just so curious how they got their start and whether their childhoods played a role. And so I'd love to start off just by asking you what you think it was about your childhood that set you up to start making a difference so early. I guess like this like value of like helping others um, and like I guess like in social work was sort of like instilled in me at like a very young age. So both of my parents are actually um, immigrants from China and they grew up in a very rural portion. They were very, very fortunate to be able to immigrate to the U.S. like right before I was born. Um, During that time, I remember like hearing the story of like (laughs) how I was born. So my dad um, was actually like a research assistant at the University of Wisconsin at that time. And we couldn't afford a cell phone. Um, for the family. So my mom was actually starting to give labor at home while in like their apartment while my dad was like away studying in the library. So she was like already on the like giving labor <laughs> when he <laughs> finally got home because he, she couldn't reach him. And he was like, oh my gosh, like Mary's about to be born. <laughs> and when I like was born, so my family of five actually lived out of a one bedroom apartment in Wisconsin. So my grandfather slept in the living room. Um, my dad, my mom, and I in the bedroom. And my brother, who was only like three, four years older than me, like slept um, in the closet at the time. Um, and he still wow. likes to compare himself to Harry Potter. But um, <laughs> so, yeah. So um, during my like early, early childhood, like we definitely relied on like nonprofit support to get by. When I understood this as I grew a little bit older, I was just like, wow, like those nonprofits like definitely played like a huge like role in like, I guess, like my upbringing and like support were a huge source of support for my family. So as I grew older, I was like, I want to like one day, like, you know, like give back to this, like in this field as well. So um, fast forward a little bit to like high school, I guess like in like late middle school, I started getting like super into the hobby of baking. So I loved baking. I loved decorating cakes. And um, it was something that I would just like search up on YouTube and then figure out how to do on my own. I was going to ask, are you watching like cooking shows, reading books, or is it YouTube? I love that it's YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of my favorite shows was definitely like MasterChef. And they would often have like... um, like some dessert specials and stuff. So I was just like, I was just really drawn to the art of like, just like making like beautiful like decorations out of like sugar and frosting and like putting it on cakes. And I'm a huge, I have a huge sweet tooth myself. So um, after a little while, like after just like doing like baking cakes and sometimes bringing it to like some social events, um, whether it was like family parties or that sort of thing, um, people were just like, wow, this looks like these cakes look like really, really well made. I would buy that. So I was like, huh that's like an interesting concept. Like why not like sort of like look into like how I can like do something bigger out of this than just like a hobby. So um, then I thought, you know, like what better way than to like sort of delve into my interest in like nonprofits and social work than to create a nonprofit out of something that I really, really loved doing at the time, which was baking. So that's sort of how um, my nonprofit back in high school, which was called a little piece of cake um, with peace being like, P-E-A-C-E. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, That was how that was born at that time. Yeah. (laughs) That is awesome. And I love that you got that early taste that that almost sounded like a pun. I mean, it was a pun, but not on purpose. That taste of volunteering, giving back, and specifically using something that you are already talented in to do that. And that plays a 
you know, I would imagine that plays a pretty key role in what you created later, uh, which, you know, I don't want to spoil it. So we'll get there in a second. But when you were deciding what you wanted to do next, did you entertain the idea of, you know, maybe I'll keep on baking cakes, maybe I'll keep on running a nonprofit? Or did you kind of see this as this is what I'm doing in high school, and I'm gonna go and move on, go to college and, and do something else? Yeah, I guess after I um, entered like my freshman year at Stanford, my family lived in New Hampshire for most of my life. So I flew across the country to go to college. At first, like I was like, kind of considering like maybe I should continue like doing this nonprofit from college. But as soon as I got to college, like everything kind of changed. Um, I was just so busy with like classes. And if you've ever seen the state of like kitchenettes in college dorms, that's like not <laughs> the environment you want to be baking stuff in. Great um, point. It was just like a totally like sort of new way of life for me. Um, because I was like really busy like trying to make friends and like attending all of my classes. And there's this whole like grind now for like um, trying to study like deeply into your field and like getting internships and that sort of thing. So um, I realized that like baking, I knew that in my heart that I still really wanted to do nonprofit work at one point, but I knew that like baking was probably not something that was very feasible to me, like across the country, like sort of on my own in college. It was kind of like time to like set that chapter of my life like aside when it came to that baking nonprofit. So I ended up having to dissolve that nonprofit after getting into college. Yeah, but it was always something that was still in the back of my mind, like me knowing that I really still cared a lot about social impact. I just didn't know what the best way, like what the best like sort of use of my skills and like how to do that while I was a college student. Okay, so when I think of Stanford, I think about how we've seen just kind of this huge influx of iconic and successful folks who come out of Stanford. And I almost imagine that there's some kind of expectation being put on you and all of your classmates for what paths you could go down, which, you know, from my outsider's perspective, would probably be like tech. You can work at Google, you can work at Facebook, you can work at something that's small that will hopefully become a Google or Facebook, uh, or you can probably go down like the financial world. Like that's that's my outside perspective on what Stanford is. What is it like, you know, going into your freshman year and, and what kind of expectations? are they putting on you? And I, I guess as a part of that, was the nonprofit or social impact world presented as an option at all? I remember in like my freshman, sophomore, in the even like beginning of my junior years, I was very, I was like exploring different paths in finance and tech. Like when you go to like the career fairs at big universities like this, all of the tables are for like the hottest startups, like the Ubers, the Facebooks, the Googles. Um, and going into Stanford, um, I thought that the only thing that I could do with like a CS degree was like work at a big tech company. And that was definitely the most glamorous thing at the time. Everyone was like getting internships at big tech companies or big finance companies. And it was everything that everyone like sort of wanted. On the other hand, like when it came to social impact, there is like a Haas Center for Social Impact at Stanford. However, it's it's treated as like a very like alternate career path. So it's definitely like not mixed with a more mainstream way of doing things, which is like getting a, like a high paying, like glamorous, like job in industry. It's sort of set aside as like something totally separate and that you'd have to like, the way that it was presented is it would seem like you would have to like sort of dedicate, like sort of sacrifice like, your, your career or like sacrifice your internship to do something public service related. So as a result, um, it's kind of naturally like, like a turnoff to a lot of students who like, as soon as they didn't get into college, they see these like big, like career, like, booths sort of like flashy like 
newsletter blasting to like go and um, like try to recruit for a big tech company. That is so interesting. And it's too bad too, because I think listeners to this podcast will know that there are some really cool nonprofits that are using tech and innovation and just huge amounts of creativity that, you know, are traditionally in the business space, but they're using it for good in the nonprofit space. Like coming to mind, I know we're about to publish a story on the the website about Thorn, which is uh, Ashton Kutcher's nonprofit that is fighting child pornography on the internet, just using, you know, super wild algorithm stuff. Like I think about News Story Charity, which is very much like run kind of like a Silicon Valley startup and even has gone through some of the same incubators. Then I think about like Charity Water and how they've upended the kind of nonprofit space. And so there's clearly so much room for like this innovation, but to kind of keep that separate feels very 1990s and earlier. And so it sounds like that was a problem that you we're seeing, how did you kind of wrestle with that dichotomy? Like, I don't know, how did you wrestle with which path to go down and 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 how to handle that? Like, I would definitely say in like the earlier half of my college, I definitely got swept up in like the, the rush to like try to get like the best internships um, to try to like climb up the steps that were sort of laid out to me and that were like sort of being pushed on like students to, to try to get the, like the, like highest paying jobs and like, um, in like tech and that sort of thing. Um, and like all this time I did definitely felt like some conflict in the back of my mind because I knew that social impact was still super important to me. Um, but as I like tried to look for ways to like sort of get involved in like, like volunteering or like service work, all the opportunities I encountered were often things that were kind of like not really appealing to students who were on one hand being like being pulled into like the fast paced like um, race to get like the um, best career opportunities. For example, like a lot of traditional volunteer opportunities are um, things that involve like a lot of manual work, like handing out water bottles at an event or um, like signing up for shifts for something or yeah, like packing boxes of books or food and things like that. And those things are definitely super important. Like I know like someone has to do them at like these really impactful nonprofits. But at the same time, if those are the only volunteer opportunities that students um, who are like have so many things like that, that are trying to like fight for their attention, if those are the only things that they're being exposed to from the nonprofit world, then of course it's going to be a turnoff. Like that's not the thing that they're going to be like fighting to get. If like there doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunity for um, personal growth or like refinement of your like professional skills and those sorts of opportunities. I've always really struggled with that idea of volunteering because I think that I I really did see volunteering as like, all right, I'm going to show up and I'm going to use my body for this work. But the thing is, I'm not like super strong. So there's going to be somebody who's better at lifting boxes than me. I'm not even like that I don't even have that much stamina. Like I can't even do it for a long time. Like there's somebody better suited for this than me. Or I think about like my little brother who is a volunteer firefighter. Like he has an absolute skill set to do that. If you put me on the front lines of California wildfires, like I'm not helping anybody. But there are things that I can help with that are kind of unique to me. It seems like that is like this missing opportunity in our culture of volunteering right now we sort of have like a representativeness heuristic in our mind of like what volunteering is. And that's what like 
the most like um I guess like typical forms of volunteering are it's just like doing a lot of like manual work that's not very glamorous but um as a result of that sort of heuristic that people have in mind it sort of limits their view of like the different ways that they could help back and give back in the ways that they are talented that they're uniquely talented and gifted or the resources that they have access to so um I definitely um like agree with what you're saying it comes right back to cake baking you know, you could have done a lot of things to raise funds, but none of them probably would have made as much money as the thing that you were already really good at. And so it made sense to lean into that. You obviously now, you know, I guess if we fast forward to you being in Stanford, looking back, you already have this experience starting a nonprofit. When you're seeing this problem, are you thinking through, hey, maybe I should start something to like fill this gap? Maybe I should be the one to show up and make a difference for this problem in the world of volunteering? I would say that the big impetus for the the decision to like start something like develop for good um, honestly happened when the pandemic happened. And I felt like I really just needed, like, although the pandemic was like a terrible thing that um, affected a lot of people in terrible ways, like it also like sort of provided me with a lot of clarity on like, two sides of a marketplace that could sort of help each other. And one of them was like this little internal struggle that I had with like students not really wanting to help, but not really knowing how to help. So when the pandemic happened, I saw so many of like my classmates and my friends and people that I didn't even know, like on LinkedIn, on social media, saying that their internships had been canceled or their student activities were being canceled. And during this time, it was like a mass exodus off of college campuses all over the country. People were being sent home um, left and right. Um, And um, a lot of students now just like had a lot of um, additional time in which they they were looking to, I guess, use to do something meaningful. And at the same time, um, me still being someone who cared a lot about like the nonprofit world, I was seeing like on the news that a third of global nonprofits, which be projected to shut down because of the pandemic. Whoa, I did not hear that. That is wild. Yeah, it's like a combination of just like financial stress. And I think one of the huge factors is just like the lack of digital access. Um, A lot of nonprofits around the world are still sort of living in the dark ages in terms of technology. There's a whole number of reasons that just like kind of contribute to this. One of them being like a lot of funders typically want like their donation dollars going to direct relief services. And as a result, there's not enough money from nonprofits being invested in technical solutions. Um, So as a result, there's like a lot of reliance on like, I guess like manual or human communication and labor rather than digital automation, which was a huge like, like reason for why nonprofits struggled when the entire world was forced to like transition virtually during the pandemic. And because of like the economic downturn, just like donations drying up and that sort of thing. So during this time, there are a lot of other things happening to um, in addition to the pandemic, like the Black Lives Matter movement was like um, in full swing at that time. And so many of my friends and peers were just like um, coming out and supporting um, the black community during this time. And and one of the things that actually sort of inspired me to like sort of take action was um, seeing one of my friends. She was a very talented artist. Um, she's one of my classmates at Stanford. And during this time, she was actually selling pieces of art that she had drawn um, in the past to raise funds for um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And just seeing her sort of, um, it kind of brought me back to like my high school self, like selling cakes to like support causes that I cared really a lot about. And it was just like really inspiring to see other students sort of 
taking their unique like passions and skills and um and applying them in a way to like um help the most vulnerable communities at this time and just like a combination of all of that um sort of resulted in this idea of like being a like a computer science student i have so many friends in the computer science community who are really passionate about like helping others like what if we created a way for which it would be easy for them to use their really talented and niche skills um to help the people or communities or organizations that are in need most at this time. We are going to take a quick break and when we come back, Mary and I are talking about what it's like to run a nonprofit during a global pandemic, the moment that Mary and her peers realized that their organization was growing, which is such a good feeling, and the funding that Develop for Good offers to first generation and low income volunteers. We'll be right back. Sounds Good is supported by Moon March. Moon March is the agency that partners with causes, campaigns, and companies to create a better future. As you know, we worked with Moon March to launch the new goodgoodgood.co website. And not to get nerdy about it, but the metrics for like search engine success are through the roof on our website. More people are finding good news through our website than ever even on pages that have existed for years. Like something that Moon March did was magic. And it is bringing lots and lots of good news seeking eyeballs to our website. And I couldn't have done that on my own. Uh, It's way over my head. I just got to work with an agency who knew what it's like to run a mission-driven business and also held the technical and process skills to bring things to life. I loved getting to work with Moon March. I would recommend them to everyone. In fact, I just had a friend email me yesterday and say, Brandon, I'm looking for a new website. Who do you recommend? And I'm usually a slow email responder, but I got back within 45 seconds saying, moonmarch.com. We don't have to have this discussion. Moonmarch.com. That's everything. (laughs) If you are a brave soul running a company cause or campaign that dares to rethink cultural establishments, Moon March is here to ensure your story earns the participation it deserves. You can learn more about Moon March, explore their past work, and get in touch at moonmarch.com. That's moon, M-A-R-C-H dot com. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. Their guests are bending systems and breaking the rules to rewrite the narrative for women. And co-hosts Sabrina Mirage Naim and Kasia Binkowski connect with radical activists and unassuming feminists who are reimagining what it means to be a woman in this world. They're talking about things like gender equity in the media, reproductive rights, women in politics, feminine hygiene, and everything in between. The show is a production of Evoke Media, which has worked on films like The Gig Is Up, Clarkston, and The Eighth. And everything that they do exists in order to elevate the people and stories that are working to make the world a more equitable place. You can learn more about the podcast, Breaking Glass, at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. And of course, you can just search Breaking Glass wherever you listen to podcasts. 
One more time, that is breakingglasspodcast.com slash good and searching for Breaking Glass. I think it's so cool that there was clearly a problem and a solution on both sides of things and you were able to fill that gap. What were the first steps that you had to take to bring this to life, to start actually pulling together those both sides and creating that bridge? So me and one of my um, good friends at Stanford, so we ended up co-founding Develop for Good together. But in the very initial stages, we were definitely just like talking every day about just this idea now that we like sort of through like our own firsthand experience of like ob- observing and just like seeing and reading things, like we knew that there was definitely like um, sort of like a need in the market for something to like connect like these different parties together to help each other. So um, we definitely like spent a lot of time just like talking and planning about how we could make a program like this work. We we definitely took like a lot of did a lot of like scrappy like methods to like do additional lead finding and try to set up our first like sort of iteration of what this like program could look like. So in the very beginning, we cold emailed like hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits <laughs> um, to try to see if there was any need for technical help on any projects that they could have potentially had already ongoing or that they had started but was on the back burner or if they had any um, like new technical needs um, at all. Obviously, you and me can see that nonprofits need to get out of the dark ages and the pandemic, you know, made it more clear. But, uh, you know, are nonprofits outside of kind of the the really innovative ones, are nonprofits thinking about tech and solutions and development and how it could help them? Or does it take a little bit of kind of convincing and vision casting? I think because of the, the pandemic, um, so many nonprofits just became aware of how important it was to have like a digital solution because of everything going virtual a lot like they had to shift their operations completely online and a lot of nonprofits are realizing that they didn't have like systems in place for that or like they couldn't really mobilize volunteers the same way that they did before um, because everything was in in person or they couldn't even reach their beneficiaries or serve their beneficiaries in the most impactful way possible because of that a new barrier that the pandemic like brought up. So I think like I have read before that like there have been like nonprofits that were hesitant to like sort of transition out of like their traditional ways. But because of the pandemic, I think it was sort of like a jolt to like the nonprofit yeah. world that there definitely needs to be like digitalization of operations. There needs to be automation. There needs to be like a way to do things virtually. And as we sort of sent all of these cold emails out, we got a lot of responses back and hopped on calls and interviewed like dozens and dozens by just like talking with nonprofit management and executives got to understand what their technological needs were. And some of them needed things like built like completely from scratch. Some of them already had ongoing projects, but were struggling to like find the support they needed to finish them. Basically every nonprofit that we talked to just like had um, technological needs of some sort. <laughs> um, so through this like, cold reaching out, we did verify that like a lot of nonprofits were in need of this sort of service. On the other side with like students, we also sort of took this like cold reaching out, um, like email blasting method as well. Um, So we first started out with just like the Stanford community. And as both of us are computer science students, like we have a lot of access to um, different computer science mailing lists. So we just blasted out um, emails saying like, 
asking students like are you interested in like helping a nonprofit with like your technical skills like being able to create like a project that will have real world impact like looking for something meaningful to to do now that you're like home and like not on c- campus anymore and we got like quite a bit of interest from students so with this like sort of initial interest from a few nonprofits and that we ultimately scoped projects for and with this like first handful of students um that's when we sort of launched our first iteration of the program I love that it it very much felt like testing the waters, just saying, is anybody interested in this? And then treating that as the first step and then going from there. And then I would imagine you got to just follow a similar model to how you approach like traditional work. You know, if for people who have had internships or for people who had already started taking jobs doing development stuff, I would imagine that you just took a similar approach to that, just doing it with nonprofits. And so it really was that early first steps of just making sure that there were people interested on both sides that really mattered. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's helpful that like, um, to like be able to apply like different things that we've seen work in like our own experiences and working on like collaborative projects and teams. I guess like now that we're like a little bit over a year old, we still do have a lot of similarities in our first iteration of projects. Um, however, because we've been able to like sort of go through so many iterations, one of the things that we like definitely try to do is like take as much, get as much feedback as possible from all stakeholders at every like point of our program and um, apply that to make sure that we're constantly improving and making the experience as enjoyable as possible for the volunteers and the products as high quality as possible for the nonprofit clients. Now that you are more than a year old, like what has the impact been? What have the ways that you've been able to make a difference looked like? We've been able to scale up a lot, um, like quite a lot um, over the past year or so. So our first iteration of projects, we only had around three projects and maybe 20 Stanford students. I think that project um, started in like April 2020. After a few months, um, a lot of students from other colleges started emailing us saying that they were really interested in participating and if our like program was open to non-Stanford students. Of course, we, we wanted to make our opportunities as inclusive as possible to um, as many different types of students as possible. Um, so since then, we've deployed um, 920 volunteer students across over 80 nonprofit projects. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, and each like project cycle... Like some of our projects go on for longer than a cycle. So that figure does include um, repeat students as well. But we mostly do um, try to um, incorporate as many new students as possible. Um, As a matter of fact, our students come from over 260 unique universities. So we we really want to try to make our community as welcoming as possible to students from all types of universities. And one of the things that we also really prioritize is making our volunteer opportunities as accessible as possible to underrepresented groups in tech as well. So historically, one third of our volunteers have actually been first generation or low income, and two thirds have been women. In addition to like getting students like computer science students from like the Stanford's and Berkeley's and MIT's, we also want to welcome students um, who come from like sort of non-target computer science schools as well, because this is like truly a great opportunity to gain professional skills and to hone and to refine on your existing skills while also making a real world impact. I guess like one initiative that we're about to launch um, is like providing like a grant for a select few like first generation low income students every project cycle. One thing that we recognized and we came to understand um, while sort of hosting our program through the pandemic is that volunteering is definitely a privilege um, um, socioeconomically. 
for example, like we had some students who had to like actually drop out of volunteering because um, their family was suffering like financial hardships during the pandemic and they had to prioritize finding like a paid opportunity and volunteering is like traditionally like non-paid. So we really wanted to make our um, opportunities as accessible as possible to students who do have to have that prioritization. Um, so we've been able to get some funding to administer these first generation low income student grants. Um, and we're excited to start administering those to be able to attract more students, more underrepresented minorities to our program. And it's not even just that, you know, those who experience a little bit less privilege don't get the opportunity to get to be a part of this. It's that the nonprofit sector and the tech sectors also don't get the opportunity to work with these brilliant students. And, you know, if the whole tech world or nonprofit world looked like me, you know, we would have a lot of missing gaps and missed perspectives. And so I'm really glad that you've created a system that, you know, empowers more folks to be able to join, even if financially it hasn't historically made sense for people with that experience. So that is such a great approach. Um, Looking forward, you know, you've got this new program. Where do you expect this organization to be in five years or 10 years? Like, what would your greatest hopes be for the impact you could make? I think one of the things that our um, our leadership team is looking into is just um, scalability. So we've already scaled significantly since our like first project cycle. Um, right now, I think our carrying capacity is around like 200 or so student volunteers to around 30 to 40 nonprofit projects being managed. Um, at a time. And this is honestly all possible. This has honestly all been possible due to like the ama- amazing like leadership team that we've had. But I think one thing that we want to do is figure out how to scale um, even more. So like our mission is truly to be able to provide this opportunity to as many students as possible and to serve as many nonprofits as possible and help them um, get more access to like a digital transformation um, within their organization. So um, right now, um, we're sort of refining the the development of a portal that we've been using. Um, and this tool has been like fantastic for helping us like sort of match like students and nonprofits and mentors um, together. Um, and we're looking for ways to make this process even more efficient and to increase our scale. So um, definitely in the next like sort of year or two, we want to further sort of, I guess, like further automate this, this like program so that um, we can serve a greater number of students and nonprofits um, while maintaining and increasing like the quality of the products that we create um, and the, the experience that the students get out of it. That is awesome. And that's so exciting to think about. And I just love the idea that future students who were in your situation, who had this passion for making a difference, uh, but didn't quite know how to go down that path without sacrificing something else, now have that opportunity. You created that solution and now it's going to get to serve a lot more people. Thank you so much. As my final question before we wrap up, what kind of encouragement would you give to people who want to make a difference and and maybe when they look around at volunteering, at least historically, they haven't felt like the traditional ideals of volunteering were a perfect fit. And you know, maybe the listener is... a developer, but maybe they like to bake cakes or maybe they, you know, have some other talent or passion or ability. What kind of closing advice would you have for that person? 
I actually covered just this topic in a recent um, TEDx Stanford talk that I gave called Rethinking Volunteerism, Donating Your Comparative Advantage. And I think the solution is really um, identifying what your comparative advantage is. So comparative advantage is like this term used in economics to sort of describe like it's something that you can do that you do better than the other things that you do or that that you do better than other people. So it's just some, I guess like the one word to like sort of describe that is like your talent or your passion. So it's really identifying what you're talented and passionate about and then thinking creatively about ways that you can make, that you can use that to like help other people, even if it's in a way that's like very unconventional. So um, just like from my experience of like seeing my peers, I guess my own life experiences and just like learning about other nonprofits that are that have like really unique ways of leveraging their volunteer skills. I'm convinced that you can turn anything that you're passionate or skilled about and use it in a way to help others. So just as an example, there are some nonprofits out there, like if you're really passionate and if you love like hosting parties, for example, which is like kind of like an unconventional skill or passion that you might have, there are nonprofits where you can host parties or like host birthday parties for like homeless children. Um, if, for example, you love acting or singing, there are nonprofits where you can like dress up as like a Disney princess for a day and like visit sick or underserved children um, and like sort of brighten their day. Likewise, like if you're good at designing or developing, um, there are nonprofits like Develop for Good that you can go to and sort of like use those skills to like create like a really impactful project for a nonprofit. There's just so there's like a limitless, never ending list of things that you could do with like what you're passionate and interested about. It's just like really powerful to think about because if you think about just like the diversity of like talent and skills that people in our generation and the next generations have, like there's just so much impact and good that could be done if everyone sort of really like reflected on themselves and thought about like what they could do with their talent or passion. That's Mary Zhu, co-founder and executive director of Develop for Good. You can learn more about her work by heading over to their website at developforgood.com or you can follow their LinkedIn at develop for good. They're also accepting applications for volunteers, nonprofits, and industry mentors. So if you are interested or if you know somebody that's interested, you can check out the how to apply section on their website. One more time, that is developforgood.org. I also want to give another shout out to the Fast Forward Accelerator Program. They are an organization that mobilizes the funding, resources, and support that tech nonprofits need to create a positive impact at scale. They have played a role in supporting a lot of the amazing folks we have featured recently, including Mary and Develop for Good. Uh, they also were the ones who connected us with Mary. So I just want to give a shout out to them for their amazing, wonderful work. Uh, you can check them out, learn more about what they do at fastforward.org, but it's spelled a little bit funny. It's spelled ffwd.org. It's like you're saying it really fast. <laughs> ffwd.org. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at our all new website, goodgoodgood.co. Every single day, we are publishing new good news stories there. 
And of course, you can learn about everything else we do there. Uh, it is the best. We are so proud of it. This episode is created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, Ria Bagua, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Please make sure to hit the follow button on this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you loved this episode, if you know somebody who cares about the tech world and wants to do good, uh, share this podcast. You know, share this directly with that person. Share it on Instagram in case you know you've got multiple friends who are going to be interested in this. Uh, whatever you do, it really helps more people find the show, and we really, really appreciate it. Every time that we hear that somebody found the show through an existing listener, we really appreciate it. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and volunteer one of your specific skills with a nonprofit. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? <laughs>